Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, The Brink. We have a choice to make as a country, and it's a really simple one, but it's a really important one. Do we keep moving forward, or do we go backward with the Conservatives? My priority has been to build a Conservative movement where every Canadian can feel at home. We're not your dad's Conservative Party anymore. We want to tell people that it doesn't have to be this way. We don't have to choose between the Liberals and the Conservatives. With Election Day just hours away, what could make or break this close race? Will the People's Party impact the blue vote? Will the progressive vote split? Rana Ambrose, Navdeep Baines and Olivia Chow join us, plus key battlegrounds. I will be focused on you. Will Aaron O'Toole's sudden shift to the center pay off or will the Liberals hold their support? Do the bloc have momentum in Quebec? Can the NDP surge in BC? Tom Mulcair, James Moore and Catherine McKenna will be here to break that down. And then Kenny's COVID crisis. We believed that we could prudently move away from addressing COVID as a pandemic and towards an endemic. It is now clear that we were wrong. And for that, I apologize. A deadly mistake, a horrific fourth wave, and an apology. Will Alberta Premier Jason Kenney's COVID calamity impact the federal election? We'll speak to Edmonton Mayor Don Iveson about the plan to contain the outbreak. Is it too late? And then, spoilers. With vaccine passport, mass mandate, it is unconstitutional, illegal, unfair, immoral. What path to victory can you expect to see play out tomorrow? From the PPC to the Bloc to the Greens, which party could play spoiler? Pollster Nick Nanos joins us on the Scrum. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. Well, with one day to go, the 44th federal election is closer than the Blue Jays' wild card chase, which is close. Right now, the parties are frantically trying to do two things. One, get out their vote. It's called Go TV. Not an easy thing to do in the fourth wave. They're also trying to frame the ballot box question, but so far no party has been able to do that. Has Liberal leader Justin Trudeau done enough to justify a pandemic election and expand his minority government, or will he be punished as an opportunist? Will Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole's sudden shift towards the Brian Mulroney Political Centre broaden the CPC base or alienate Harper Conservatives? And what about NDP leader Jagmeet Singh? Can his ambitious platform help his party reclaim the seats he lost in 2019? And what about the People's Party of Canada? Will they disrupt the usual voting lines? And could the fourth wave in Alberta impact the campaign? So there's lots of storylines here. Let's dig into them. Joining me now is the former interim Conservative leader, Rana Ambrose, the former Liberal Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry, Navdeep Baines, and the former NDP MP, Olivia Chow. Good morning, man. Good morning. Talk about a Sunday breakfast party. <laughs> uh, Rana, okay, let's let just go down the, the, the challenges here. Just for the CPC, Aaron O'Toole really has, you know, he ran his true blue. Now he's, he said, this is not your dad's conservative party. Here's Brian Mulroney. Uh, has he managed to make that brand shift? What's the pluses and minuses there? Yeah, I think he has. I mean, he's, he's run a campaign that is progressive conservative. And absolutely, there's people that are concerned that he may have alienated some Harper Conservatives, if you want to call it that. Um, I think the real issue here is not that people that are conservative philosophically aren't interested in voting for Aaron. It's that there's a lot of angry people just angry at politicians, angry at the government, angry at establishment. And we're seeing that manifest itself in people moving to the 
to the People's Party of Canada. And that, I think, is going to hurt us, that, hurt that, Aaron. That, that could be a factor. And, and Nav, let me just go to you. I mean, Justin Trudeau has been asked almost every day, why did you call this? And he's been accused of being a political opportunist. And, and I know the Liberals probably banked that that question would burn out after 48 hours, and it's been 36 days of it. Has he managed to answer that question, or is he going to get burned by that? That's a very fair comment, Evan. Uh, when the campaign started, we thought this issue would last maybe a few days, maybe a week. But as you said, this issue has persisted over a number of weeks. Uh, and just before the election campaign call, the prime minister said, look, let's talk about vaccines. Let's talk about making it mandatory if you want to take a, a flight, if you want to get on a train, if you want to work for the federal government. And so that's how we try to frame this, this campaign, saying, look, it's about who can finish the fight against the pandemic. But there were so many other issues that emerged. And as we were discussing earlier, in the last few days, particularly with the apology by Jason Kenney, it's brought the pandemic back to focus and the issues of going forward, who do you trust? And I think that's the frame the prime minister and the leader of the Liberal Party, Justin Trudeau, was looking for. Well, he's, he's trying to do that. And, and Olivia, obviously, Jagmeet Singh has tried to say, you know, I get it, these two, same old, same old, uh, but I've really got it done. And, and he's the real progressive. But he lost a lot of seats in 2019. I think he lost 20 seats. Um, how does he stop the strategic vote in a very tight race? And, and what's his path to victory here? Mm -hmm. Well, Nadeep talked about who can you trust. Um, <laughs> we come across as someone that gets it. He feels your pain. He's empathetic. And he connects really well. Uh, he lost seats in Quebec, yes. Uh, but it's a different... It's, harder for him in Quebec and who can you trust I just in the last few days it came back to I, I reflect on that question what do you say about a person a man that took days to distance himself from men that prey on women that had that committed uh, or allegedly uh, sexual assault and then said it was frustrating and uh, difficult decision. Um, perhaps because Jagmeet had been a victim of sexual assault, I have too. It, it just gets personal. I said, who can, how come it's so difficult for Justin Trudeau to actually s distance himself from these so it's folks? An, are you saying it's an authenticity question? Uh, yeah, yeah, who is this guy? And he say the right words. Is he real? Does he really care? I, um, for me, it, it just... I can't, he talks about it, it doesn't deliver. And, and it, you know, where is this uh, affordable medication? He makes all these promises. Yesterday, I saw him promising electoral reform. It's sort of like there's a flashback, maybe because I'm getting old. <laughs> I, I remember that promise. Well, well but, that, but, you know, this is an interesting, this, this, this authenticity thing that you're talking about has been a platform for the NDP and they're accusing Justin Trudeau. And again, the PPC, Ron, I'll go back, because we're all, the other big storyline is the splits, right? Yeah, uh, the splits. And we'll, I want to talk about that. For, for suddenly, I, I don't think I've ever seen this, Ron, where you've got conservatives saying a vote for the People's Party is a vote for Justin Trudeau. Strategic voting Which from the Which is why Navdeep is wearing purple today. <laughs> right. He wants everyone to vote sure, for the People's sure Party. Sure coincidence, I tell you. Justin <laughs> this is the first one I found in my wardrobe. <laughs> but how does that play out, seriously, for the conservatives? Because there is a concern that People's Party say, this is not the Aaron O'Toole that was the true blue guy. Does that impact his... Do the People's Party, are they a, a challenge for him? Look, I think the People's Party are challenged for the entire country, let's face it, right? I mean, Justin Trudeau called an election that people didn't want. 
And it's not just conservatives moving to the People's Party. We've seen from, uh, from research that it's all walks of life, both genders, you know, all genders, all uh, political parties are attracted to this anti-establishment, anti-government, I'm mad at everybody party. Um, but I do think that it's the conservatives that will get hurt the most. And I'm sure <clears throat> myself and Aaron and others are looking at those numbers and saying, if you add up at least some of that and add up right. our polling, we're, we would be in majority territory. And these pe I don't think this party's going anywhere anytime soon. So it's a huge concern to the conservative movement. Now, Divi, what do you, what do you look, look, Justin Trudeau called this hoping for a majority. There's not a single poll out there that shows they can get one. I mean, anything could happen tomorrow. What, what's the path that the Liberals need? And if the NDP are holding at 20, that might split the progressive vote. What do you need to see tomorrow? You're right. It's a tough race. It's been tough throughout the campaign, actually. We started pretty strong, according to the public opinion polls, and then had a tough few first few weeks. But I think really turned things around in September when we came out with the platform, the debates, and then started to make the contrast. I think, as you've seen in previous election campaigns, we're going to appeal to some of the progressive voters and say, look, lend us your vote if you really believe in climate change. Lend us your vote if you believe in child care. And I know Olivia's got a good chuckle going on there, but we've signed an agreement with eight provinces, right? So it's, no, it's, 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 so it's, it's, it's a real deal. But I would, I would say, though, that, uh, you know, that's the case we're making. And the key battlegrounds remain the same as they were in 2019. I was with the Prime Minister on the bus yesterday. He was northeast of Toronto doing southwest Ontario. These are key battlegrounds yeah. for us in Ontario that we're going to need if we want to form government. And as I said, it's going to really come down to a lot of key ridings. There's 42 ridings that were decided by less than five percentage points in the last campaign, yeah. and I don't see that changing in this campaign. Yeah, friends, Canadians, country people, uh, Olivia, this is the liberal cry, lend us your vote. I know. Uh, but that's the strategic vote cry. What, how did, but seriously, for, for, for Jagmeet Singh, uh, and how does he avoid that? I, I've heard it so many times in so many elections. Just like those election promises. I remember those red books. Remember those... Uh, Cretian red books sure. that have promised uh, universal home care, affordable housing, climate change, real action. Um, oh wow! How many times do you want to lend the vote? I mean, this is this but how is does they, nuts. How do they stop I it? Because when, uh, but on a serious note, the NDP keeps voting with the Liberals in the minority yeah, government. So right. how, how do you how do you how do you? Well, start? I think people need to deserve. They deserve better. They keep saying, yeah. "Yeah, we could try that," and it's all about fear, right? Fear, uh, oh, fear, conservative, fear this, fear that. But the problem is that fear doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't build a country. It doesn't build a nation. Doesn't build. Doesn't make life more affordable. So I think it's much better to be hopeful and say that, okay, if I want. Right. Real deal, vote NDP. Just they don't deserve better. Sadly, right? sadly though, fear right. gets you votes. Yep. I know the negative campaigns we got work. fear Donald works. Trump because of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, well, we'll find out what gets you votes. There's a package. I think there's a package deal. All right, Dad. All three, uh, Olivia and Rana and Nav, will be joining us, of course, on Monday as we find out what actually gets votes. So we'll find out. Thanks for joining us this morning. All right, coming up. What are the key battlegrounds to watch? How will critical ridings in Ontario, Quebec? and BC factor into tomorrow's result. Tom Mulcair, James Moore, and Catherine McKenna will join us. Stay right here with Question Period.
election this tight, it all comes down to the ground game, and the results of this election could come down to a few key ridings and key regions where the battle for votes is tight. There are three battleground provinces to watch for tomorrow night. British Columbia, 42 seats. Ontario, 121 seats. Quebec, 78 federal ridings. In B.C., it's a three-way toss-up right now and could be decisive in a late-night election. In Ontario, the greater Toronto area, of course, remains a liberal stronghold, but conservatives are showing competitive signs there in those surrounding suburbs of that city. Meantime, in Quebec, the bloc has seen a surge in support over the last couple of weeks, especially after capitalizing on a controversial question related to Bill 21 during the English language debate. But has their momentum now stalled? Then there are new battlegrounds emerging with the rise of the People's Party and the COVID crisis in Alberta. Will the failure of Premier Jason Kenney to contain the fourth wave spill over into the federal election? Let's find out. Joining me now, Catherine McKenna. She is the outgoing Minister of Infrastructure and Communities. She's in Ottawa. James Moore, the former Cabinet Minister under Stephen Harper's Conservative government, is in B.C. And in Quebec, Tom O'Care, CTV's political commentator, former NDP leader. Wow. Uh, Wonderful to welcome all of you. Uh, Catherine McKenna, uh, let me start with you. Um, the Liberal path to victory, obviously key in Ontario and the greater Toronto area, but even tight, by the way, in your riding of Ottawa. So what do the Liberals need to do tomorrow to find a path to victory? And as they originally wanted, a path to a majority. What are you looking for? Uh, well, I mean, I think the question has to be clear to folks. I mean, it's between Liberals and Conservatives, and there's a totally different vision. Um, and I think people need to understand that. You know, there were some people that were upset. I've, I've been in rides across Ontario, crisscrossing. They were upset about, you know, why do we need an election? But at the end of the day, elections have consequences. And so we need people to realize that we need to get the heck out of this pandemic. And we've seen with the Conservatives, I mean, the message around not requiring even their candidates to get vaccinated. Uh, I think that's, we need that to be out. We need people to be focused on big issues like climate change and the huge difference between our plan and uh, and the conservative plan, which would take us back in time. Right. And then we need to get people out. Like People need to be motivated, so now it's all get out the vote. Okay, like I get the framing. Let me go to you, James. Look, the framing of the debate, is it about the election? Is it about the vaccine? Is it about issues? But what about a path to victory? I mean, drill down, if you can, on the battleground of British Columbia, which looks to be us to be a tight three-way race. Um, what are you looking for there and, and across the country? Well, this will be the one province in the country that could return NDP, Liberal, Conservative and Green members of Parliament back to Ottawa, as has happened in the last few election campaigns. And there are splits all over the place, 42 seats in the province, as you described. There are about 15 of them that I would say are, are up for grabs, but it's an interesting, different dynamic. You know, on Vancouver Island, uh, Mid-Island, it can be an NDP-Conservative two-way fight. In the, what, frankly, wealthier parts of the Lower Mainland, it's a Liberal-Conservative two-way fight, working-class communities, three-way fight. Um, you know, so, so I look at the North Shore, uh, West Vancouver, North Vancouver, which Stephen Harper won when we were on the brink of a majority in 2008, um, but then we lost in 2015. So if Conservatives are look like we're going to win and we're going to govern, those are ridings that are bellwethers in the province, and they flip. I have to say, looking at the polling numbers and the dynamic on the ground in B.C., I don't see any new seats for the Liberals in British Columbia, and I think they needed to win uh, a handful of seats in B.C. in order to push them over the, the line to get a majority. So I don't think that's in the cards in this campaign. And, and you know, the, the core issue out here is still is cost of living. There's the COVID overhang, but I think people are looking past that into giving, giving the country a government that will address their concerns and cost of living issues. And the question is whether or not the Conservatives have 
tipped the ballot question from COVID to leadership. Does Justin Trudeau deserve four more years? And is cost of living the answer in our, the question? And do we have the right answers? Yeah, affordability, big issue there. Tom, uh, let, let's swing back. What are you looking for? Just not only in terms of path to victory, but Quebec, you know, after that, you and I have talked about it a lot, the English language debate, and suddenly the bloc got wind in their sails. Uh, has that stalled? What are you seeing in that province, and, and what are you looking for tomorrow? No, as Catherine says, Evan, uh, elections have consequences. Uh, Mr. Trudeau decided to throw the country into a federal general election in the fourth wave of a pandemic because he was convinced he was going to be able to get himself a majority. Well, he has to win seats in every area of the country, including Quebec. And right now, it's quite clear that he's going to lose seats in Quebec. That means he'd have to make up a heck of a lot more in other regions, whether it's Ontario or the Prairies or B.C. or indeed Atlantic. And there's not much room for him to do that. So, yes, the, the Bloc Québécois is resurgent. Their advance poll was glorious from all the reports I've been able to get firsthand, they, much way beyond what they were expecting. They've got a good ground game. They'll be out very active on Election Day also. So I'm expecting them to be able to poach from the Liberals, maybe even from the Conservatives. So stay tuned. There's uh, you know, 78 seats in Quebec, and they, they might have a determining effect on whether or not uh, it's a majority or a minority. Oh, they always do. So, Catherine, uh, what, what does the Liberal path to victory look like? Because... You know, at the beginning of the call, um, they got to pick up seats in Ontario, as Tom said, in Quebec. They were counting on B.C. Uh, the math is looking tight, obviously. We'll wait to the outcome. In your view, as you watch tomorrow, what, what battlegrounds will you be looking for, Catherine McKenna, to make a, a liberal path to victory? Well, I mean, obviously, Ontario is key. And there are lots of seats to be had. I mean, we've got in the GTA, I mean, there's only really one that we, you know, we, we need to pick up, uh, Aurora, um, Oak Ridges, uh, Richmond Hill. Uh, there's an opportunity there, but we've got to keep the seats that we have. But I spent a lot of time in Hamilton. I think people might know I'm from the Hammer. And so there's three seats there that we could pick up, maybe Brantford, Brant. Um, there's seats in eastern Ontario, London West, um, uh, Windsor West. And so there are areas we can pick up seats. Yeah, it'd be interesting. 4.8 million people already voted, James, uh, early um, in the, in the um, early voting. So that, that's kind of interesting. Uh, what's your take on, on the impact People's Party? Is that a factor in terms of the blue path to victory for Aaron O'Toole? And, and because, look, we know Alberta's key turf for him but but do you you know this area well is the is the covid situation there with, and the situation with Jen, jason kenny politically is that spill over into the federal election for aaron o'toole does that hurt him uh hard hard to see but look you know i i do think people segregate provincial versus federal politics as uh, you know mr mulcair will i think probably talk about maybe uh, francois legault and, and his you know his perception of what's in the best interest of quebec versus what the voters may say uh, on monday so i think people do separate provincial versus uh, federal politics in their assessment of, of these things uh, with regard to the people's party look you know uh, people's party voters have known that the conservative party is an option for a long time and you know we know from abacus data for example that over 50 percent of Canadian Canadians say that they're that they want to see a change in government and they strongly hold that view. So the door to change government is there. And we also know that not COVID, not climate change, but the cost of living is the number one issue across the country. So if with 50% of voters wanting change and the cost of living, where cost of living, the two big drivers are cost of a house and taxation, if those voters are not welcomed into the conservative message and not comfortable voting to replace the Liberals with a Conservative government, then if Conservatives don't win, that's not on Maxime Bernier, that's on the Conservative Party.
Yeah, that's interesting. Tom, uh, spoiler factors in your view. Uh, by the way, and you're in Quebec where Max Bernier may have a shot winning the boast, the, the riding he used to have when he was a conservative. What are you watching for in terms of the spoiler there, something that could change the path to victory? Well, the Conservatives hold almost a dozen seats in Quebec, and that's been consistent. That's been about their range, 10 to 12 seats over the past few elections. It's what Stephen Harper called his blue arrow, going from the Saguenay-Lac-Saint-Jean, northeast of Quebec City, all the way down to the Beauce on the Quebec main border. And it's stayed pretty loyal. Beauce, I am told, according to the most recent inside polling, is now outside the reach of Maxime Bernier, which is interesting. And I think the confirmation of that is the fact that Mr. Bernier has decided he's going to spend election evening in Saskatchewan instead of uh, in Quebec or in his riding. So I, I think he's aware of that. They're not much of a spoiler effect here, but the blocks moving in and boosting its numbers could actually not only hurt Justin Trudeau's Liberals, it could also play havoc with some of those 10 or 12 mm. ridings that the Conservatives were hoping to maintain and any hope that they had of adding to that column. Wow, this is lots of dynamics at play. I think Catherine McKenna said it best. There's a lot of ridings up for grabs, so we'll find out what happens tomorrow. Catherine McKenna, James Moore, Tom Mulcair, great to have the three of you. Uh, take care. All Thank the best, Evan. Thanks. All right, still to come. The Kenny crisis facing mounting pressure and surging COVID-19 hospitalization rates. Premier Jason Kenny apologizes and reinstates restrictions, but is the move too late to save lives and maybe save his political career? Edmonton Mayor Don Iverson joins us next. Stay right here with Question Period. Well, the thing that Jason Kenney called the best summer ever has now turned into the worst COVID crisis in the country, one that's threatening not only to collapse the health care system in Alberta, but maybe even end the political career of Mr. Kenney. For months, Premier Kenney rejected the idea of a COVID-19 vaccine passport, ignored warnings that new restrictions were urgently needed, and now, in a sudden apology for his deadly mistake, Mr. Kenney is trying to take action. Based on our analysis of other jurisdictions around the world with similar rates of vaccination, we believed that we could prudently move away from addressing COVID as a pandemic and towards an endemic. It is now clear that we were wrong, and for that, I apologize. Starting tomorrow, a proof of vaccination program will launch in Alberta, but the government there is stopping short of calling it a vaccine passport. Non-essential businesses will need to ask for either proof of vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test or operate at a reduced capacity. Is the move too little, too late, too complicated? And what about Premier Kenny's political future? Talk about all that. We're joined now by the mayor of Edmonton, Don Iverson, sir. Welcome to the program. Uh, before we get to the politics and the impact this is having even on the federal election, give us a state uh, of the COVID crisis in your city and your province right now. Well, 5,500 active cases in Edmonton, 300 people in hospital, 99 in intensive care. And of course, Edmonton is a health care center for northern Alberta, where vaccination rates are much, much lower than in the cities. And so uh, we're seeing healthcare centers across the north uh, part of our province, but especially our big hospitals, chock full with primarily unvaccinated people, though there are some people with single or double dose who are sick too, but it's put tremendous strain on our healthcare system again, which is still recovering uh, from the previous waves. Uh, all non-essential surgeries have been canceled. Uh, it's just uh, the wave is really cresting here, and I have never seen such anger, and uh, not just from our healthcare workers, but you know, in a town like this, everyone's one or two degrees of separation from a nurse or a doctor who just had it uh, with yeah. this situation, which was avoidable. 
Okay, let's drill down on that. What went wrong here? Because Jason Kenney, the Premier, had resisted this uh, vaccine certificate, which has proven to be the, uh, the best and most effective way to get people vaccinated. Uh, where is the anger directed and what's the reason here? Well, we've had our business community for more than a month, the chambers in Edmonton and Calgary, saying we need this to be able to reopen with confidence um, and to make it straightforward for businesses. And municipalities have joined that call. A number of my colleagues around the region here, as well as the mayor of Calgary and many other mayors, along with our business communities, uh, have been saying for um, what seems like months now, certainly for many, many weeks, uh, as folks have hopped on this. And then the public is there, too. We've seen data uh, indicating that uh, essentially four out of five uh, Albertans are now on board for this idea. People have seen that in other jurisdictions where it's been brought in, it's led to an uptick in vaccination, which is how we get out of this. But it's also a way for folks who have taken this step for public health, not just for their own protection, but for wider population protection, to be able to get back to normal, which is what we were promised in Alberta with open for summer. But it was a false promise because not enough people were vaccinated. And our doctors and epidemiologists here in Edmonton were saying that at the time, uh, back in June when this was announced. And that's uh, uh, and, and we should have listened to them or our decision makers should have listened to them. Edmonton City Council takes very seriously what our healthcare leaders in the city say and have generally right. erred on the side of caution um, with masking and other measures, uh, notwithstanding the signals that everything's fine coming out of the legislature, which were wrong. Look, Jason Kenney's apologized, and I don't, I don't know if, and we'll, we'll talk about his political future in a minute because I know he's in the midst of a, a political firestorm, let alone the health firestorm, but we're also in the, the last day of this federal election. And what implication does this have federally? I know Aaron O'Toole had praised the Alberta response in the past. Um, are you hearing uh, that this has some kind of spillover effect on the federal election? Well, certainly there's, there's a lot of commentary to that effect, and people are um, drawing a link between the general philosophy of um, erring on the side of individual liberties uh, versus things we need to do by way of collective action for collective safety in a society. And, and I think a good democracy manages those tensions well, and we've seen a number of provinces um, uh, manage that uh, tension very, in a very healthy way. Um, and, and I think quite clearly in Alberta, it wasn't handled in a, health, in a healthy way. Uh, there was a, an over-appeasement of uh, folks resistant to vaccination for a very long time. Um, uh, management dynamics within a caucus that was extremely divided over any measures whatsoever. Um, and then ideological factors that have applied all the way along that, uh, that have cost lives and ironically uh, had a devastating impact uh, in the short term, not just on our healthcare system, but on our economy and our restart and ultimately on Alberta's reputation. And so all of that has cascaded across the country and it can't help but feed into the, uh, the federal election discourse. What about uh, Jason Kenney? Uh, there's been calls for him to resign. He did apologize. He has instituted this vaccine certificate program, although he doesn't like to call it that. Uh, you know, sources have tell, telling me he's on the brink. He'll either be pushed out by his own party, maybe resign. Maybe he holds on. Uh, what happens to his political career right now? What are you hearing? Well, it's 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 I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not on those the inside of those circles that broker power 
in the Conservative Party in Alberta, that's for sure. Um, but, you know, the amount of frustration that I've heard from people about, you know, just call it a vaccine passport. If you're going to reverse course anyway, just call it a vaccine passport and make it straightforward rather than a proof of vaccination restriction exemption program, which is an unpassport which downloads the onus onto small businesses and municipalities like mine to have to make uh, venue by venue decisions about whether we're going to opt into this. And that that inconsistency, that lack of clarity, that leads to uh, potential for misinterpretation uh, and potential for conflict on a store by storefront basis. And so that is the kind of frustration I'm hearing on the street and from my mayoral colleagues that I think can only be feeding uh, the kind of speculation that you're describing. Yeah, you, I, I just hear just in the last couple of seconds, people are mad out there, it seems. I've never seen Albertans this mad across the political spectrum about the situation we find ourselves in. People are furious. All right, uh, well, watch that. Obviously, what we want is people to stay healthy and, and to pull through the crisis. Uh, Mayor of Edmonton, Don Iveson, thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks. All right, when we come back, campaign strategy hits and misses. Did the pandemic election call hurt Justin Trudeau? Will Aaron O'Toole shift to the center, alienate Harper Conservatives and help the PPC? And can the NDP hold their vote? Strategist Jenny Burns, Scott Reed, and Farouk Kareem will be here. Stay right here with Question Period. So at this point in the campaign, it's all about the ground game, getting out the vote. But Election Day is really the ultimate test of the party strategy. Did Justin Trudeau get hurt by the early election call? Or can he convince voters the Liberal brand deserves a majority? Will Aaron O'Toole's political makeover from the true blue conservative to the Brian Mulroney 2.0 win on the day or alienate the base? And will the NDP be rewarded for their advocacy during the COVID crisis or will they be burned again by the strategic vote for the Liberals? And what about the Bloc and the PPC? Will they emerge as the big newsmakers or what about the Greens? Let's figure it all out. Jenny Byrne, former senior advisor to Stephen Harper, joins us. Farouk Kareem, former NDP caucus press secretary, is here. And Scott Reed, CTV political commentator and former uh, senior advisor to uh, Prime Minister Paul Martin. Uh, great to have all of you here. Scott, let me start with you. Uh, like, it's all about framing the debate. I don't know what the ballot box question is. It's weird because I don't think it's settled yet. Justin Trudeau, they hung around his neck was, you're an opportunist for calling this election. He said, no, it's about something else. Did he manage to turn the corner? And, and what's it about for him right now? Well, the great benefit he had is that circumstance have uh, conspired to benefit him. And so he started this campaign on defense. Why are you calling a campaign in the middle of a pandemic? You know, the Conservatives really hope to reframe this election around affordability, economic recovery. But here's we end, you know, in large part catalyzed by the events in Alberta last Wednesday. As we end this campaign, it is about pandemic. And I think a lot of voters, particularly in Quebec and Ontario, are saying, you know what, I actually have to cast my ballot based on which of these people do I think can best protect my interests in terms of the fourth wave, in terms of the pandemic. And that's not where the Conservatives want to end this campaign, and it will benefit Trudeau. Yeah, I, I, the question is enough for what he originally wanted, which is a majority, Jenny. So there's that question. Aaron O'Toole, who had put Justin Trudeau on the defense about this, uh, but then he, you know, he's gone from true blue to, uh, as I said, sort of Brian Mulroney 2.0. He literally is trotting out Brian Mulroney saying, this is not your dad's Conservative Party. Uh, has he turned the corner on that? Like, can, can, is that... 
the effective strategy to, to win the middle, win Ontario, and, and win the election? Well, I, I think when conservatives don't run as conservatives, they lose. They're, they're, think of something in our in, in our history when Ontario was won uh, by by a conservative trying to out liberal uh, the Liberal Party. So I don't. I, I think if that was the strategy to win Ontario, I think it was wrong. I think if you look at uh, Stephen Harper and the governments that he he won three elections, including a majority where he won the the vast majority of seats in in Ontario. Doug Ford uh, won in 2018. Uh, his number one issue I worked on that campaign was opposing carbon tax. And so I think if if Aaron's strategy in terms of the policies that he had was to win Ontario, I guess we'll see if it'll work uh, uh, tomorrow. But it, it doesn't look like it is. Well, we'll see. And, and then meantime, the NDP. You know, I get their strategy. You know, we're the real progressive. Justin Trudeau doesn't walk the, walk the walk. But can look in the end of the day, liberals are going to say. You know, it's a tight race. A vote for uh, Jagmeet Singh is a vote for Aaron O'Toole. How, how did Jagmeet Singh ward that off? Right. I think he did a successful job throughout the campaign, making sure to inoculate the progressive voters by saying what? By going back to the Trudeau record of six years. There's a credibility gap. And so you can't believe him. He's been hammering that message for 30 days because he knew at the end of the campaign, the liberals will play the old playbook of... You have, to say, you have to save me against the big-back right wing. But now he ha successfully, I think we'll see what the results, but I think by saying, by reminding people, progressive voters of the, of the record of Mr. Trudeau, it reminds them of the credibility gap. Can you believe this guy? So, Scott, what, what's the response to that? Well, you just power through. And I, and I think the big question really is for the NDP. Are they going to be, I'll be watching Ontario on election night to see if the NDP can maintain their vote somewhere between 18 and 22 percent. If it dips below 19, 18 percent, then you'll know that Trudeau's picked their pocket. If they can keep it at 20, 22 percent, then you'll know that they've held their vote. And this kind of dynamic with what feels like a very close election, certainly the polls have said it's a very close election, I think you'll see some new Democrats bolt and say, I just can't take the chance. The stakes are too high. I'm talking about whether or not people are going to be vaccinated, whether or not it's going to be safe. Right. And I think that's going to cause a little bit of trouble in a couple of real competitive spots for the NDP. We're talking a lot about, Jenny, that the PPC vote and splitting on the right, and we talked about the strategic vote the, uh, on the progressive side of the spectrum. You know, there's other dynamics at play here. The block we're not mentioning, the Green Party, that's into people say, oh, who, that's irrelevant. Why are those dynamics something like if you were back in the campaign, why would you be watching the Green vote or the PPC vote or the Bloc? Well, because the, the, the dynamics, to your point, are uh, uh, riding by riding. So let's take a riding in Nova Scotia, West Nova. Uh, it was a riding where we won with 39% of the vote. The Liberals had 36% of the vote. The Greens got 13% of the vote, the NDP 11. There is no Green Party there, that candidate, this, this election. There is no Green candidate. So in a riding like that, if you're looking at 13% of the vote uh, from what would say the progressive side of things, where does that go? And that isn't factoring in the, the, where the PPC is, depending at different levels. You're seeing anywhere from 4% to, to 10 or 11%, uh, which, which regardless of what people may say, 75% of the people that are voting for PPC have voted for Conservative in the last election. So those splits are key. The, and I, the Greens are not running candidates in something like 80, 85. 85 ridings. So that's a, that's a, that can... A lot split. of thumbs that are not on scales on election night, and yeah. that's going to make a big difference. We think about it as a game of inches, but in some ridings, it's going to be a game of yards, the presence of the PPC and the absence of yeah. the Greens. Okay, let, let's just project out. Like, what looks like victory? Uh, the NDP lost 20 seats in 2019, and Jagmeet Singh danced and declared victory, and I don't know, I, maybe that's the new math, but that was victory, and they <laughs> love him there. What does he have to do now to, to, to 
to win back the 20 seats he lost. Like, what's victory for the NDP? I think it's an increase in number of seats. It might be a, a foothold in Toronto. Downtown Toronto would be nice to go back there. Uh, any increase in percentage of vote, an increase in seats, a presence in the biggest province, I think that's a win at the end of the night. And, and in Quebec, he's got one seat. Right. I mean, in Quebec, gets, it's a longer war. Yeah. It's, a, it's a longer... If Ruth Ellen Brosseau wins and they double the two, he, he declared... That's a good point. On, in Quebec, because of the English debate re, uh, uh, reaction in, in, in Quebec, the bloc has coalesced a lot of the vote, and so Ruth Ellen will have a tougher time. In. What about for Mr. Trudeau, Scott? He called this wanting a majority. Even if he wins a minority, but it's a weaker minority... Like, what does that do to his viability as a leader? I don't think it does anything to his viability as a leader within the party. Like, if you're asking me, is he vulnerable within uh, the Liberal Party? Well, you know, no. Uh, this is Justin Trudeau's party. It really is. I mean, after the party was burned to the ground in 2011, it's been rebuilt around him. So he's safe as houses. But it will change the way in which he performs as prime minister. I think this would be a different minority parliament than the last one. And one of the key things for the NDP is will they hold exclusively the balance of power? If right. they do, well, then that's going to be a big deal. But you don't think don't. his brand suffers? Like a of third election? Yeah, he's weakened inside the party at all, even if he wins? Not, not within the party. Okay. Not, not, not within the party, I don't think. But obviously, his brand has taken a hit. Six years of incumbency. And, right. you know, these, that's why the first two weeks was such a beating. Of course, his brand has taken a hit. Uh, Jenny, and, and then there's the conservative math. Like, Andrew Scheer increased his seat count, won the popular vote, took the liberals to a minority and lost his job. Uh, Aaron O'Toole might increases, but if he doesn't win, what happens to his viability as a leader? I, I, listen, I think that uh, I, we'll see what happens, but I think that Aaron O'Toole took a, a gamble in terms of how he's running this campaign as opposed to uh, what he ran on his leadership uh, campaign, and so I think that uh, I think that if he is not declared the winner of the 44th uh, general uh, election of the 44th parliament, I think that uh, he will have a hard time staying on as leader. Is that right? And because the factions, what, some of the factions that he courted on the leadership, uh, the social conservative faction, the Harper conservative, they'll just feel like this is, well, not, a, well, this this is election, not the guy we... This election, this election more than 2019 was winnable. This, this, if, if conservatives do not win this election, it was yeah. entirely winnable because we led the polls for uh, at least two weeks. It is, this, never has there been a time to unseat right. Justin Trudeau for people that do not uh, support him. Uh, so that is what I think, regardless of what stripe of conservative you might consider yourself, that's what they'll be looking at. Don't say breakaway on an open net. We've heard that before. All right, I've got to leave it there. Scott Reed, uh, Jenny Byrne, and Farouk, uh, thanks so much. Great to have the three of you here. Thank you. Thanks. Coming up next, the final polls. Where do all the parties stand with just hours to go until Election Day? And what should you watch for tomorrow night as the results come in? The Scrum is next with special guest Nick Nanos. He's got all the latest information. Stay right here with Question Period. Less than 24 hours until Election Day, the Liberals and the Conservatives remain in a two-way race to the finish line. Now, throughout the campaign, the frontrunners have both struggled to make significant gains in support, but there are some new surprise factors at play. So here's where the race stands the morning before. According to the latest Nanos Research Poll, the Liberals have 30.8%, Conservatives 30.5%, NDP 21%, the Bloc 6.5%, the People's Party 5.6%, Greens at 4.7, the poll surveyed 1,200 people over three days, ending September 18th. Margin of error, 2.5 percentage points, 19 times out of 20. So those are just the top-line numbers. But vote efficiency is key, what actually translates into seats. And what's the path to victory for each party? 
What trends should you be watching for tomorrow night? The Scrum is here to dig into that. Marika Walsh, a reporter with the Globe and Mail on Parliament Hill. Stephanie Levitz, a Hill reporter for the Toronto Star. And our special guest, CEO of Nanos Research, Nick Nanos. Great to see everybody. All right, here we go. Nick, dead heat. We just saw the top line numbers. Dig in, though. Like, what should we know beneath those numbers in terms of paths to victory? Well, this is a lot like 2019, Evan. The fact of the matter is, in 2019, it was a dead heat between the Liberals and the Conservatives. But the Liberals, because of vote efficiency, were able to win more seats. But what I'm looking at, key battlegrounds outside of the island of Montreal, Bloc and Liberals, that will be a key determinant in terms of how strong or weak the next minority government will likely be. And the GTA Toronto, some key battlegrounds. It'll be interesting to see how well or how poorly the Conservatives do. And then we can't leave out British Columbia, those three-way races. And the People's Party, wild card, right across the board for both the Conservatives and also the Liberals in terms of vote splitting. All right, uh, Marika, what are you watching for tomorrow? I'm watching for turnout. I think it really comes down to the People's Party. Can they get their vote out? When you look at the numbers, the Conservatives would be in such a stronger position if that People's Party vote was in their camp as well. And so how many people actually show up and actually vote will be a key a key metric to watch. Yeah, I wonder if those, uh, Steph, I'd love to know what you're watching for because you got 5.8 million people who already had advanced uh, voting. I don't know who that breaks for. Is it the, the Conservatives or not? But what are you looking for tomorrow? So one of the things I think we're in for is a really long night because there's a lot of very close three-way races in lower mainland British Columbia. And it's those seats that at the end of the day could potentially tip the balance of power one way or the other. And it'll also be a key place to watch to see how well the NDP finishes in the end. Mm -hmm. They've had a lot of support there. The collapse of the Green Party vote, um, largely people think it'll go NDP. It might not. We'll have to see. And so the, the other wild card being the Green Party is what I'm watching for too. Can Annamie Paul win a seat? Who knows, can her current MPs hold their seats, perhaps? And where do her voters end up parking their vote at the end of the day? Yeah, that, so Nick, go in, because there's Block, you know, PPC party, uh, which no one has, has a clue. This is really the first time they're this kind of viability. And the Green vote, how does that uh, play spoiler, if anything? Oh, it plays spoiler not only for the Liberals, but for the Conservatives. You know, the fact of the matter is, the big question is, Who's going to turn out and how heavy or light will the turnout be? And that will have a critical impact on the outcome of the election. But, you know, the thing is, is whether you're Justin Trudeau and the Liberals, you're looking at the Greens and you're also looking at Jagmeet Singh. Jagmeet Singh, the last day or two, his personal numbers have been going up, especially in the province of British Columbia, to Stephanie's point. Okay, so, so if he holds at 20, by the way, that's a real number, Nick, Marika. Yeah. Uh, if he holds... That's the liberal strategic vote, you know, please don't vote NDP because mm -hmm. it's a vote for Aaron O'Toole. Uh, if, if Judgment Singh holds 20, which is about three or four points higher than he was in 2019, then what, what, what do you watch for there in terms of liberals uh, and how that plays out? Well, you're looking at Toronto ridings then. You're looking at, as Steph said, the lower mainland. And, and the question is, are the splits on both sides then still helping the Liberals. But it definitely is a question of Justin Trudeau's strategic voting message that he has been ramping up in the last week right. doesn't seem to have the same effect that it certainly had in 2015 and that we saw it have a bit of an effect in 2019. So the question is, can he actually hammer that message home? So far, he hasn't been able to. Okay, let's go to the proof. But the other question is, go of ahead, course... Steph. 
Oh, I was going to say, if the NDP remains strong, then what we're looking at is for the Conservatives to split down the middle, mm -hmm. right? Is to come up the middle as they so often do. I mean, history shows that most of the times Conservative governments win is when the NDP is in second place. Yeah. They need that cannibalization of the vote on the left. And that's why they're so, I think, as Jenny said in a panel earlier with you, Evan, that's why the collapse of the Green vote is so problematic for them, because it doesn't split that vote even further on the left. Jay, let me just stay with you quickly, Steph. Let's just go to, to close, because the prove it or lose it. Uh, what did each party have to prove or, or do they lose? Mr. Trudeau wanted a majority. The polls show he's not close to that right now. Uh, Aaron O'Toole says, I can beat this guy. What happens to Mr. Trudeau if it's a weak minority? What happens to Mr. Uh, O'Toole if he doesn't win? Or, or Jagmeet Singh if he still never recovers the 20 seats he lost in 2019? Steph. Yeah, let's go backwards to forwards. I mean, start with the NDP. They don't necessarily cannibalize or eat their own as fast as the Conservative Party does, nor as the Liberal Party does. They give their leaders a lot of time. If Jugmeat can make gains, any gains, they give him time. He has to decide if he wants to keep it. Going the other way to Justin Trudeau. This is now, you know, he's six years in as Prime Minister. How much longer was he planning to stick around in the first place? It's going to be a question. The very first day of the election, he got the question. If you don't win a majority, will you resign? So the folks around him are going and also have to say, okay, how long can we hold on to this? Do you want to ride it out 18 months, trigger a leadership race, or what? Mm. And that decision, in turn, I think, will factor into what happens to Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. Can he convincingly make the case to the party membership who ultimately determine his future that, look, Trudeau's on his way out, we just need one more, the pandemic, we didn't want this election, it's not our fault, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, he really has to play back mm. to some of the messaging he's been drawing out throughout the campaign, which is he's trying to build a new party and he has to be given time to do that. I'm not quite sure that's going to work. Caucus is mad. They don't like the way this is rolled out. Um, but will they give him the leeway right. to do that? Do they have the stomach for another leadership race? We'll have to see. Uh, Marika. Yeah, but the problem with Aaron O'Toole is that he is in the campaign trying to build a new party and a new brand that he did not sell to the base when he was going for leadership. And I'm not sure the party will be patient enough to see what the Liberals do. I don't think he has that much time. Look at what happened with Andrew Scheer. So... I actually think one of the things to look for after we find out the result whenever that comes this week is the future of these leaders. Yeah. Justin Trudeau and Aaron O'Toole will both have questions to answer to their base when this is over. Unless you win big and that's Unless you win everything. big and then right. somebody else has a problem. Yeah, winning is solves everything. Nick, just quickly before I go, if you had one big surprise you're looking for, there's something, you know, there's always a surprise on election night that no one saw. What could be the big jack in the box? PPC. How will, you know, are they underreported in the polls potentially? Are they overmotivated to vote? Where will, their, where will their number land? And uh, if the PPC is strong, it's going to be like billiards, Evan. You know, the balls yeah. hitting each other all over the place. It's another wild card. Yeah, billiards in the boast if he wins the boast. <laughs> all right. Uh, uh, Steph Levitz, Nick Nanos, Marika Walsh, great to have all of you here. And a reminder, CTV News will have special election coverage. You can watch CTV News Election 2021 tomorrow night. Chief News Anchor and Senior Editor Lisa Laflamme will lead the program as the results roll in. Coverage starts at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. It will also be live to all stations on the CTV main network, CTV News Channel, and ctvnews.ca. That is question period for this week. We will be back here in seven short days, and I'll see you Monday night. Thanks for watching.